the truth is I am Andrew. Are you though? Are you though? Is that the truth? Are we sure though we know what the truth is? I am. I am. It's not a big secret like it is for Iron Man, but (laughs) I am Andrew. And I am Ryan. (laughs) And this is the Antagonist Podcast. And this week we are talking about, as I already mentioned, Iron Man, the very first MCU movie. Uh, We were going to talk about Lamageddon. It was supposed to be like a really kind of fun, goofy movie, but we got about 15 minutes into it and and realized that it was not fun. So actually, I think we should like explain a little bit because like we went into this thinking it was going to be something like a funny, stupid, purposely a bad movie like Zombiever. Yes. But 15 minutes in and my first thought was, we are better than this. We cannot do this movie. We are better than this. Yeah, I thought it was going to be a movie made by good filmmakers to be intentionally bad. And I, I think it was just kind of a bad movie. Like, there was no intentionally bad. It was just really bad. Like, it looked like somebody just picked up an iPhone and started shooting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I mean, it wasn't even an iPhone. It was like an iPod mini. <laughs> But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but we're doing Iron Man, which I'm really excited about. It is one of my favorite MCU films to date. So, Absolutely. Ryan, I want your initial impressions after watching Iron Man yet again. So I want I'm going to end up approaching this in a way of looking at like the entire MCU because this is what started it. Yeah. Um. So I, I love Iron Man. Like he is of the... Mm-hmm universe that they have created over the past what like 10 years or something like that iron man has been my favorite and i love the original i saw all of the iron mans in theaters like they were my favorite and looking watching this movie now i'm like Mm. i'm i was just thinking like this movie really shooting wise and sound and lighting and all that it's really not anything special like it's yeah. it's still very good. It's done well, but it's not anything special. And then you look at like the later Iron Man movies and even anything else from the MCU, and you just see how much they have improved and how much more like ballsy they have gotten in the way that they shoot and do things. Sure, and I'm I'm kind of I'm in a similar spot, you know, as the movie that kicked off the entire MCU. I love it. It's one of my favorite Marvel films. Mm-hmm. And after watching it again, I can gladly say it is just as good as I remember it. Oh yeah, maybe there's... even, maybe even better. Story but, wise, I still love it. Technically wise, yeah. I just think it's good. Like you know. Yeah. Well, and see, technically wise, and we'll even talk about uh, this maybe a little after. I guess we can talk a little bit technically now if you want to. I mean, either way, I mean, we can do what we did last week, go through the story, yeah. and just go off well, it, whatever. Well, you know what? Let's let's hit this point right here. As since we're talking about it, uh, you said technically that you didn't like it as much as some of the later films, but but for me, I almost appreciated the technical side of this film a little more than I think the other MCU films. Because while the other ones are definitely more polished, this definitely had a more unique feel to it. It was just rapid editing. And it had a very free-flowing camera, and it helped add to this very, like, realistic feeling at times. And I liked the unique feel of how this film was shot as compared to later in the MCU, when it all kind of becomes under this big umbrella of this is how we shoot an MCU film. 
Yeah, actually, that's that's a really good way of putting it. Oh, what it, that was a very good and smart thought, Drew. I'm proud of you. I'm Thank so you. proud of you. Occasionally, I get one out here and there. <laughs> but, Ryan, let's let's talk. If you don't have anything else to say. Uh, I mean, when we go through the story, there were certain shots that I really yeah. want to, like, touch on. But um, sure. Other than that, no. I mean, I, I appreciated the shooting. I appreciated the movement. I really like okay. the amount of low angle shots they had, actually. Yeah, um, that was good. Mm-hmm. But yeah, past that, we can just dive right in because there's just certain shots that I want to talk about as we go. Perfect. So I think before we even get to the the legendary opening scene, uh, I want to just say that John Favreau is a goat. He deserves his respect. And now they just they need to let him loose on whatever he wants to do because this film was not set in stone before it started filming. It was a work in progress. It was constantly changing. As they were even filming it, it was changing. That's right. And the fact that it became this layered and and good, it was genuinely good. That's crazy. <laughs> I mean, it just shows John Favreau's like knowledge and skill behind all of this he he's, he's so talented he's super underappreciated and hopefully hopefully disney will see john favreau and say you know what let's let him direct the next star wars trilogy because <laughs> then i'll be very very happy but that's a whole different uh <laughs> Um, that's that's a whole different to- topic we can get into. I'm gonna disagree with you on that one because yeah, I don't. I, if he was smart, he won't take on that project. That's 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 true. That's true. You yeah. never know the studio, how good old Big Mickey might interfere with that one. But mm-hmm. <laughs> but the legendary opening scene, the scene that kicks off the entirety of the MCU. ACDC back in black. Tony is feeling himself, man. He's having fun with the soldiers. He's not taking himself too seriously. And it seems like this fun, lighthearted scene, but we really learn everything we need to know about Tony up to this point in like in like two minutes. Mm-hmm. Like two minutes. And none of it feels forced. Right, like we learned that he lives life out in the open and that, you know, Tony wants the world to see him in this way and he's got this ego and he's like this womanizer, loves talking about himself. Smart ass. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and that, you know, you mentioned that and it's like that was kind of new for superhero films at this point. Yeah, yeah, that is true. Because, I mean, and, you look back at it even, like, because, I mean, the MCU technically had other movies, um, you know, Hulk and things like that. But yeah. any superhero movie up to that point had always been, like, either the hero's depressed that he has to move forward or he's Captain mm-hmm. America, basically. <laughs> That's right. Mm-hmm. And it's like the earlier Spider-Man, Raimi Spider-Man series, like, that didn't take itself too seriously, but it was, like, campy. Yeah, like it wasn't. It wasn't this like witty, quippy type stuff that Iron Man does so well. I think that's why he's like my favorite. Like I, yeah. I love his wit. I love how much of a smartass he is. Uh, yeah, I, I just wish I was as much of a. I, I just wish I was as skilled and <laughs> clever and um, smooth as him when it comes to women. Because I'm sure not. 
Dude, I am a smartass, though. He's the best. <laughs> mm-hmm. But there's there's also one thing about this opening scene that I want you to notice. Because when they are attacked, he is not heroic in the least bit. He hides and he tries to protect himself. Like his first instinct at the beginning of the movie is to act in his own self-interest, which I think is important. Yeah, because it changes real quick. It does. Well, I mean, I guess real quick. I don't know. I guess it does change early in the movie, but it's also not like uh, suddenly he's heroic. Like it feels earned. Yeah, I think. Well, part of the reason I say that is because I think Mm -hmm. I'm thinking in terms of, you know, we think about it in a way that um, like if we don't see the flashback, like if that flashback or for like like two days before was not in Mm -hmm. there, his heroic change or whatever would have been a lot quicker. So I guess I'm just thinking in terms of that. Oh, in terms of like chronologically. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. But well, you mentioned the, the flashback and the award ceremony. Mm-hmm. And so this is the part I find interesting about the award ceremony is Tony Stark, he just skips it altogether. He doesn't care about the award ceremony at all. But it's like he's also got this huge ego that he likes stroking. And so why why would he <laughs> why would he skip an award ceremony that would totally just inflate his ego? I don't know. Maybe because he has, I mean, he even makes a comment saying, oh, yeah, because I don't have one of these already. Maybe he's just yeah. tired of getting awards and he'd rather have something else stroked. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that does true. happen shortly after. So that, that is true. Yeah, I, I think from my from where I was sitting, I think it was just like prioritizing his flaws. Like he has this big ego, but like instead of getting his ego bigger he prioritizes being individualistic more so or just like doing what he wants rather than what people think he should. And so I just think it was like, I think in their eyes, it was a way of saying, okay, he's got a big ego, but he would rather be individualistic and do what he wants and do what people expect him to do. That's what I was kind of thinking. I don't know. Maybe it's, no, right, yeah. maybe it's wrong. That's the, I would definitely agree with that one. I mean, he, we see that throughout which you know or throughout the mcu i mean but he he slowly gets better about it but we see it throughout the entire universe is he generally is more focused on him his needs and the people he cares about versus and like doing what he wants and protecting people he cares about versus everybody else which again that 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 is improved as the series goes on but i mean this is the first one so obviously yeah. yeah of course yeah yeah and he's got a lot of growing to do even after the end of this film, mm-hmm. which I think is is great. But and then so he meets the reporter lady whose name I, I don't know. Her last name is Brown, that's all I know. Brown, look at you remembering names now. Well yeah, she's Getting hot. better. <laughs> Ryan's like, I I only remember the important characters. But but well. uh Well, well, I mean <laughs> I thought when we got started I was gonna say Tony Stark and you say which one was that again? That- <laughs> to be fair, that- I've seen this movie so many freaking times. So that might have something to do with it. Yeah, that's true. But she calls him the Merchant of Death. And Tony is just kind of like, he's vibing with that nickname. He likes it. He thinks it's cool. And I think, what was it? He said, peace is just a man with a bigger stick. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I think that's what he said, which is like, it's it's important. You know, here's a weapons manufacturer who believes world peace is not possible. Just somebody just has to have a bigger stick. Which, again, I, he stops like the mass production. Well, jumping ahead. Don't, don't go too far. Don't go too far. <laughs> I mean, I, just, I get it. Yeah, whatever. It's not, like we, <laughs> it's not like we don't go ahead and jump around all over the place anyways. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. But then, so not too sure. So, right, takes her home, the reporter lady. They had, what is it? I think they played a board game all night, probably. And then intro to Pepper Potts. I love her intro. Yes. (laughs) I love her. I think this is why her and Tony ended up together. But her wit is, I think, slightly Mm. better than Tony's. Really? Yes. Because, well, one, she's about the only one who can actually put him in his place. Um, Yeah. And two... When she is talking to the girl that he just played Monopoly with. Of um, course, of course. What else were they doing? <laughs> um, she says, I do anything and everything Mr. Stark needs, including once in a while taking out the trash and hands her the bag. <laughs> I was like, ah, I want a girl like that. <laughs> it is perfect, dude. And again, we learn just about everything we need to know about Pepper in like 30 seconds mm-hmm. they they do so good at introducing people in this film they are but uh, and then the other side of pepper's introduction that i think is important is like she's the only person in the film up to this point that tony genuinely interacts with like the only person he genuinely seems to care about and how she thinks of him etc mm-hmm. etc yeah. but and then up to this point, Tony's just kind of getting what Tony wants up to this point. I mean, like, he gets the reporter. He gets to leave on his plane when he wants to. He gets totally Don Cheadle to drink on the plane. I just, I still think it's just great that <laughs> he got recast after the first film. Listen, I actually know why he got recast, which is hilarious to me. First, I think Don Cheadle did a better job. but Oh, yeah. Too, uh, I, I don't even know the guy's like acting name. I don't recognize him from anywhere except for this movie. And mm. uh, the reason he quit is because he didn't think the MCU was going to be successful, and he didn't want to be a part of it. <laughs> Oops! Yep, <laughs> that was probably the biggest blunder of his career. There's a lot of people who say they made career mistakes and they're like, yeah, I switched to this department and it wasn't as good. And they're like, I chose to do this and I couldn't. This dude's like, yeah, I passed on the MCU. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh most people's most people's regrets are just like, I didn't travel enough when I was young. <laughs> this is like, I missed out on millions upon millions upon millions of dollars being a part of the most successful film franchise ever. <laughs> oh, that poor soul. Actually, I don't feel pity for him. It wasn't that good, but still. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But so we, I think this is the point. Flashback is kind of over right there on the plane. All of that. Yeah, we jump back into what the opening scene was, and then yeah. he gets dragged to the cave. We see the mm-hmm. which this is one of the scenes I wanted to talk about because mm-hmm. when he is getting surgery done on him to save his life with the car battery and electromagnet and all that sciencey yeah. crap that I'm too stupid to understand. Um, Same. 
um, like the way they shot it with like overlapping shots with, you know, dropping the opacity, quick flashes and all that other stuff. Um, I, I really enjoyed it because I feel like if you're in chaos and you're getting surgery done on you without any kind of painkillers or sleep, that might be Ugh. what it you're seeing. Like, I just Ugh. I think that it was so good. It was short, but yeah. it was so good. Well, and I, yeah, and I I think like you said, it was short, which I think is good mm-hmm. because if you went through that and you're blacking out over and over and going through that pain, like you wouldn't remember a lot of it. Yeah, that is true. So like it was it was good that you know it was shot really well, but also good that they didn't play it out too much. Mm-hmm. But. So he's captured by the terrorists, and it's kind of interesting how the terrorists react to him. Like, they're not, he's not like the bad guy to them, and he's not even somebody they necessarily fear. They, they almost like admire him. They're like, oh my gosh, this is Tony Stark. We have your weapons. <laughs> like, Total like fanboys. They were. They were like, oh, my gosh. It's like how the assassins react to John Wick and the John Wick universe. Like, oh, my gosh, you're John Wick. Holy crap. Come like, here and die. Yeah, exactly. They're like, oh, my gosh, we have your weapons. Uh, so I think that's pretty interesting. I I, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I wasn't quite sure. I, I didn't remember that part, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Like, that was one part of the film that escaped me mm-hmm. going back in to watch it. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Probably helped him with his decision to stop weapon manufacturing. Yeah. That they liked him so much. <laughs> yeah. And then... One of the most influential characters of the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe, Doctor Jensen. 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 Dude, what do you, what are your thoughts on Mister Jensen? I, I honestly, I really like him. I kind of wish he had like a bigger role, mm-hmm. um, but I understand like why you know they had to kill him off so early and everything. But I think he was. I think part of it was he was kind of a bit of a father figure for Tony Stark, you know, the one that he never really had. Yeah, very much so. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's like, I I think the interesting part about their relationships, about their relationship, not ships. I don't want to say that, but the interesting (laughs) part is, I know, I know. (laughs) I'm trying to correct myself and it doesn't really matter, but... So they've been together presumably for what's, I don't know, two, three days before mm-hmm. Tony asks, before Tony ever asked him for his name. Like he, he only asks for his name after he helps Tony build the arc reactor to like put in his chest. And then after that, and he asks his name, Tony just says, nice to meet you. Like they haven't been in the same cave for like three days. And it's not even like he says, what's your name? Or, hi, nice to meet you. My name's this. It's, what do I call you? Like, that's literally what he says. What do I call you? That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, And this is like, it's just interesting that the only person he's genuinely cared about up to this point has been Pepper. And now Yinsen's on that list. It's a small list. Mm -hmm. And like, because... Tony's not buddy buddy with everybody like because he doesn't care about well he's buddy buddy with people but he doesn't genuinely care about most people and so because he genuinely cares about Yinsen immediately the audience is just like oh my gosh Yinsen's great because Tony cares about Yinsen (laughs) and you know he also did save his life so I'm sure that has a small part in it 
I'm sure. <laughs> well, and he like he sticks his neck out for instance too. Like they were gonna put the hot coal in his mouth, mm-hmm. and that is the first instance. He he genuinely cared about Pepper, but him sticking his neck out for instance is the first instance in this film that Tony acts out of selflessness. It's probably the old, it's probably the first one ever in his life that he was ever selfless. <laughs> probably. Mm-hmm. I I just think that's it speaks a lot about Jensen's impact. Oh yeah. And and then so they're building the suit, which by the way, do you have anything to say up to the escape? I don't believe so, no. No. Okay. And so oh, wait. This, there was yes. one shot total. I totally forgot about this, and I'm sorry for jumping around. But no, that's um, good, dude. It was when he was showing the uh, the Jericho. Mm. I love love the shot where he's just standing there with his arms wide, and you see the arms explosion. I'm like, ah, he's a badass. That is so cool. <laughs> like, I just I think it's such a simple shot, but it, I th- yeah. I think it's beautiful because of how they framed it, how everything going on in the background. And I am sorry for jumping so far back, but I had to. No, dude, it. it's good. Yeah, it's an awesome shot, and I forgot about it. And I love I love how he walks away and he toasts to peace as he's selling a Jericho missile. <laughs> <laughs> you get a you get one of these with a uh, five hundred million or more. Yeah, exactly. But uh, and so, so anyways, there. So you're good with that. Yep. Uh, the only other thing oh, is okay. the hammer sound. The hammer sound, man. While they're building the armor, Dude. iconic. It, it I still love is. It. <laughs> it's perfect. I can yeah. fall asleep to that. But all right so now now i'm good now i'm good moving on to the escape (laughs) (laughs) okay so they're doing the escape and jensen goes to buy tony more time because they need time to power up the suit which is good that it doesn't just like kick up right away because it's built with spare parts yeah or as or as obadiah likes to say later in the movie with a box of scraps (laughs) but (laughs) jensen runs out he gets killed well he's he's dying and Tony says, thank you for saving me. Quite literally, but also quite metaphorically. Mm-hmm. Because you know him emerging out of the cave is like the rebirth of Tony Stark. Oh, there's a theme that, for you. Oh, yeah, dude. <laughs> the, 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 there's a theme, the cave being the... The, the, <laughs> the prison? The, what? The, the the cave is a theme of Tony's prison in his mind or something uh, that. Oh, see, I was going with the birth canal. <laughs> <laughs> Reborn out of the cave. I mean, you're not wrong, but at the same time, <laughs> you would be the one to address it that way. <laughs> <laughs> but so here comes Tony reborn thanks to Yinsen, the goat. The big dad of the the big daddy of the Marvel Universe, Jensen, which I, I don't think he can get enough love. I'm mm-hmm. gonna say his name every chance I get. But I love the Mark One armor. <laughs> the clunky and the flamethrowers and it's awesome. Yeah, dude, the sound so design cool. when he's wearing the armor, whether it's the first one, this is Mark Two, Mark Three, whatever, throughout the entire thing. I love the sound effects they have for the <laughs> armor throughout the entire series. So good, it's mm-hmm. so good, and the and the Mark One, it looks good. It, it just it it feels good. It's got good weight. 
it's just it's great and but and then i think up to that point i don't have any notes until he comes back to the u.s and he's rescued <laughs> there's just this yes. is this is the like real life to movie argument yes. that people make all the time but oh, yeah. i think this is the this was it was when he was um getting shot with a 50 cal Oh I'm yeah, like, yeah! I can understand if he built it strong enough to withstand bullets or M16 because he's a genius. But it's a freaking 50 cal. Yeah, that I think that was the first time in this movie where I was like, "Really, really, yeah. guys? I, you might be doing a little bit of a stretch here." And that happens a couple more times throughout this movie. But I know it's a movie, and I just had to address it because I'm like, "Oh, come on, this, this sure. is just ridiculous." <laughs> Sure. Yeah. So that that kills your uh, suspense and disbelief for a minute there. Yeah, it does. Fifty cal. Luckily, there's only yeah. a couple times throughout that movie it happened, but that that was one of them. Yeah. Well, and like you said, it's a superhero movie. There are certain aspects of it where you have to realize, you know, mm-hmm. maybe maybe this isn't gonna line up with totally real world. Although I, I I still will say I think this the iron man the original iron man feels more realistic and down to earth than just about every other mcu film oh yeah absolutely because i'm pretty sure it's one of the only ones that uh has just regular humans and regular technology present like everything else is either aliens nazis flying crap that wasn't possible way way back when like captain like it yeah no you're absolutely right that's true yeah no nazis in this one as far as we're aware anyways yeah. Hail Hydra. Well, I, I, <laughs> Hail Hydra. <laughs> but, uh, and then Tony, he comes back to the U.S. in classic Tony fashion, fast talking, charming, ready to go. And so, like, for a minute there, you're kind of like, well, how much did he actually change? Like, is it going to stick? But, like, very subtly, he gets back to that press conference. With his cheeseburgers. With his cheeseburger, can't of forget course. that detail. <laughs> of course, probably one of the most important details. Oh yeah, <laughs> and he has everybody sit down, and like that just kind of shows you, okay, Tony's not trying to speak down to people anymore. Like he's he's trying to get on their level and personally connect to them, which I think like it's very subtle, but it's also there's a lot of metaphor there, just in. My yes. so, I I see. I had the same thought, and I agree with you. But my problem mm. with that is then, then he stands up and looks down on everybody. Yeah, like, I didn't quite understand why because I felt why like, stand up. Yeah, because you know I I completely agree mm. with you. That's why they sat down. That's why it's like get down on my level. But then he stands up, and then like I don't know. I I was just kind of confused at why they did that. Well, see, what I noticed was when he had everybody sit down. He was trying to connect to them personally. That was when he was talking to them on like a human to human level. And then when he started talking business again, when he drops the bomb, so to say, about stopping weapons, that's when he gets back up and starts. See, that, that's what there I There you go. I, I, okay, I, you, you are absolutely right, Drew. I'm so glad I brought that up because I, I've wondered that for a while, actually. So, Yeah, that's, that's how I was seeing it. And maybe not but then my mind i think that makes no yeah probably the most sense in that scene i would definitely agree with that it, yeah I, I would agree with that mm-hmm. and 
so they get i don't even quite remember exactly what happens up to this point but he goes to replace the arc reactor right that's like right after isn't it no they go to uh, obadiah and toady go to the arc reactor they discuss you know i, I want to look more into this obadiah learns about the arc reactor in his chest and mm. um and then we get to the point that you're talking about, which that scene it kind of shows a little bit of you know foreshadowing and everything, but it, I don't think it was extremely important enough to like talk about for a while. So yes, then we move on to him replacing sure. it, Pepper helping him, and the grossness of having to put her hand inside <laughs> of his body. It's got pus. <laughs> <laughs> oh uh, my I, gosh. I think that scene. It's interesting the respect that Tony tells her that she's all he has. Mm-hmm. Like he, you know, he's got Obadiah, he's got Rhodey, but Yinsen, when Yinsen asked him earlier if he has anyone, he said no. But then in this scene, he tells Pepper, well, she's all I have. So like, I don't know, it's kind of, it's an interesting little switch up there. I feel like earlier when he was talking to Yinsen, I thought he was gonna, like, it would make sense if he mentioned Pepper. As like she's my person back home, but like he doesn't. So it's just kind of an interesting scene where she's all he has, but at the same time he tells Yinsen he doesn't have anybody. Well, I think it's because like up until he didn't really think he like, you know, he could rely on her for business and things like that. But he mm. like on a personal level, he doesn't have anybody. He only has professional um help up until this point. And after saving Yinsen and um, you know, trying to be more responsible, all of that, all that other stuff. He kind of realizes like Pepper's always been the one who has like, at least tried to have uh, some kind of relationship that doesn't always have to be professional. I mean, she helps him with everything, whereas Obadiah and Rhodey, they're just business partners, basically. Okay, so so you think his perspective on Pepper changed since Yinsen asked the question? I think, yeah, I think he kind of okay. realized it when he asked the, or after he asked the question. Because when he said, don't waste your life, you know, that obviously got him thinking too. I think he yeah. just kind of realized that Pepper's always been the one that's been there for him in more ways than just a business aspect. I dig it. I like that. Uh, I also like seeing Tony messing up on the suit. I think that's perfect. <laughs> I find it funny. <laughs> Oh, it's great. There's some really funny scenes there. And I just, I like seeing our brilliant, witty protagonist messing up. I mean, that's, that's awesome. Oh yeah. Which, and during this scene too, we need to talk about the most important character in the entire MCU. Yes. The fire extinguisher. Yes. What was his name? Dummy? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The little, the little mechanical arm. I love how he talks to his technology and with it the understands. same attitude. Well, yeah, that. But also, with he talks to his tech with like the same energy and attitude that he talks to other people. Like, I just think that's an interesting trait because it, I don't know. I think I think it just shows he values technology so much. That he's like willing to talk to them, or maybe it's just a weird, quirky thing. I don't know. I just think it's great. No, I think, I, I think some of it is that you know technology has been the one thing that's always been there for him. So maybe he does, you know, 
talk to it because yeah, it obviously responds and all that, but he didn't have anybody yeah. besides his tech. So he talks to it normal. And so I, I, I think it's kind of shows how sad he was and how he really didn't have anybody. Cause all he did was talk to technology and Jarvis mm. who can't show emotion in his technology, even though he can respond like a human. It's true. That's what I do. Some weeknights just talk to Siri lonely in my bedroom I'll just say, hey, Siri, are you my friend? And most of the time she just says, I don't know how to answer that. I think we might need to have a talk with mom, Drew. (laughs) (laughs) But outside of my lonely nights with Siri. (laughs) I worry worry about you sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) We get to the, the midpoint of this film. And like almost exactly halfway through the film is the first suit revealed, the Mark II. And it's the all gray, first suit up, the first flight. And everything about that scene just feels right. Oh, yeah. And I think one of the most interesting parts about the flight is it's shot really well. And and most people, when you're when you're shooting something like this, a lot of filmmakers don't have a problem with like this floaty CG camera, right? Like with a camera making moves that it normally would not be able to make. Because if everything's shot in CGI in the first place, you don't need to give people the illusion that you have an actual camera sitting there. But when they're shooting this scene, it's panning like a normal camera. It's pulling out like a normal camera. It's stationary like a normal camera. They could have just had the floaty CGI cam and it wouldn't have been a problem because it's pretty much all CGI anyways when he does Mm -hmm. the flight. But instead they shot it as if it was practical and they had to shoot with a regular camera, which I think just adds to the realism of the flight. Yeah. You know, I didn't even think about it that way. You you make a good point. That is pretty – that's interesting. Yeah. I mean they, they made it grounded even though they didn't have to. But I don't know. <laughs> oh, since I we're – oh, go, go ahead. No, no, no. Yeah, go ahead. I was say since we're talking about the first flight, I just want to bring mm-hmm. up the fact that um, I, I love like the face shot with all the surrounding computer stuff with um, Tony. Oh, yeah. Like I, I've always, always loved that shot and the CGI behind it. And I still do. And I love seeing it in any mcu movie and it makes me so happy and i want to learn how to do it but i'm stupid so (laughs) i i love that dude and it it helps you be like it helps you remember that that is tony stark in the suit if you didn't have that it would probably dehumanize him a little bit anytime he's iron man but you get the reactions and you get the close-ups and you get the emotions which is great that yeah yeah, absolutely. Oh, I just love it so much. I will, I will I learn know. how to do that one of these days. Good, dude. I can't wait to see it. It's probably going to be uh, a while, though. <laughs> I, I also think it's worth mentioning. I like the fact that this is like a triumphant midpoint. Not all midpoints are triumphant. Some of them are, you know, negative. Some of them are positive. But in this, it's a big positive midpoint. Because Tony Stark, he's, let's be honest, this dude's been through it all at this point. He's been abducted by terrorists. He's been tortured. He has shrapnel heading toward his heart. So, like, for this dude to get a win at the midpoint, it's kind of nice. I think it makes the 
Absolutely. Yeah, I think it helps with the pacing. But, and so we go to party. It's party time for Tony and Obi. And we party. learned that Obi. You mean the party he didn't get invited to? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the party that apparently he funds that he didn't get an invitation to. <laughs> it was literally like the Tony Stark banquet of something, wasn't it? Or like uh, the Stark Industries. Fireman. It was something to do with the fireman's family or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> but it's also in this scene we learn. Well, not we learn. We kind of suspected, I think, at this point. But... Obadiah straight up tells him that he's the one working against Tony, Mm -hmm. which is interesting that he would just come right out and tell Tony that, yeah, I'm working right against you. I I couldn't figure out in my mind, why do you think he did that? Because for me, I was trying to figure out, like he claims it's in his best interest, but. I, I think he wants Tony to know that he's not giving up. Like, we can see his, because at that point in the movie, I don't feel like we are led to believe that Obadiah is straight up evil. I think we're led to believe that he is greedy. Yes. And all he wants is to take the company from Tony. And so to tell him that, he does it to kind of get in his head and show him, like, I'm not backing down. You are not going to stop me from doing what I need to do to get rich and get this company. Okay. Okay. So he's kind of putting putting a seed in Tony's mind, I guess. Mm-hmm. Okay, I like that. And after that, Tony is going to beat up on a bunch of terrorists who are using his weapons, which is awesome. Anytime you get a good old terrorist beatdown scene, I enjoy it. Yes. Oh, there's one thing when he after the scene when he is sitting on the couch messing with the thing on his arm. I love the fact that they actually made his hand like glow as he got more angry. Like it just showed. Oh yeah. Yes, it wasn't just like we see his face, we know he's angry. We have a visual mm. representation, a very obvious mm. one of how angry he is before he like destroys everything. I like that. I like that a lot. I just thought well, it was so I- clever. Part of him destroying everything, uh, and I was going to mention this too, part of his destroying everything, he looks into the windows, right? And he sees this reflection of Tony Stark. And when he looks in this and sees his reflection, in that moment, he chooses to discard who he was and embrace being Iron Man. So he looks into the window, he sees Tony, and he says, nah, 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 I'm about to go beat up some terrorists. Oh, Okay, I, I see you, Drew. I see you. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I like metaphors. <laughs> metaphors and themes, baby. It's what gets me going. But with that <laughs> with that being said, I think him going to this town and blasting a bunch of terrorists is like the perfect premise meets the promise scene. Right, like we got to see him in action, and then finally the whole premise of Iron Man comes into full view, and we get to see him get people, which is great. And the suit up, the first look at the red suit, it's beautiful. Right? It really is. Um, there was two things that kind of took me out of the movie in those scenes. One, um, okay. that suit up scene is the only point in this movie 
and I think one of the very few points throughout the entire MCU that I was like, I can see the CGI. Dang it. Oh, okay. Because on his face when he's putting when the the machines are putting the helmet on, I don't. I can't even explain to you how I know this or what it is. But like I saw it and I was like, oh, CGI. It still looks really good, mm-hmm. but it's just one of those things, you know. As filmmakers, little things that might be off, we kind of notice that once in a while. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're saying. Where that where it puts the uh, pieces of his mask together. Yes, that on one right there. Yep. Yeah, I noticed that. It, it didn't it didn't pull me out way too much because I also know how good the suit looks in this movie. I honestly, I think once the suit is assembled, I mean, like you said, when they're putting it together piece by piece, there's some scenes where you can obviously see the CGI, but I think once it's assembled and he's just moving in it and doing his Iron Man thing, I think it looks better than even the later movies. You think so? I think so, because so much of it is practical, and they have so much to work with. Like, I personally, I think it looks way more realistic in the first Iron Man than it does in the Infinity War, or in Endgame, or even in like Civil War. I think it looks more realistic here. Do you think part of that is because we actually like see the process of the machines doing it? Like, you know, like we get the close-ups, we get the screwing things together, we get uh, all this movement from the machines around. Do you think that has anything to do with it? Or do you think they went a little too like overboard with the CGI in the later movies? Because this is definitely something I think we should like, mm-hmm. come back to if we, or not it, but when we go to the other like MCU mm-hmm. movies. But like, what do you think it is? I, I think it's because... So in these movies, you look at the behind the scenes stuff and you'll see how much of the suit is practical. Like so much of this suit is practical with basically the only parts of them CGIing are around the joints and around the neck and like some parts that you need fluid movement in. But like the arms, like the bicep, tricep area is practical. The chest area is practical. The helmet is practical. There's so many practical points to his suit here. So like you get a really good feel of how it should look in the environment. And in the later movies, they just start to put on dots. Like he's not in suit at all. There's there's nothing there in the later movies. So they have to build it all from scratch. Okay. See, I know I know they did that with Iron Man 2 as well. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if I thought they continued to do it, but I uh, like I knew they did it in 1, I knew they did it in 2. I didn't realize that they went to just nothing but dots in the later movies. I mean, obviously in Infinity War and all that they obviously they did because they need to but sure yeah yeah i i I really do there's there's something about a practical effect and i don't mean to be the old guy who's like back when they used practical effects it was better (laughs) but i really do i think the more you can use practical the better because the explosions in this movie the huge majority of them are practical Mm mm-hmm and they look great. The explosions are great in this oh, movie. Oh yeah. And like the flamethrowers, the Mark One suit comes out with the flamethrowers. That's practical. Yes. They actually shot flames out of his arms. I know. Ah. Dude. Like I, I just I think it looks more realistic because they used a whole lot of practical to build that Iron Man suit. Mm-hmm. That's what I think. Okay. I can get yeah. behind, I can get behind that. Um, I think this I can definitely get behind that, and I see that. But 
it's been a little while since I've seen some of the later ones. So I definitely think when we look back, we should like address this again. So I have a better sure. comparison. Well, you know, maybe on, on our Twitter account, I'll, I'll grab a picture side by side, original Iron Man, infinity war, Iron Man. We'll put them side by side and we'll see. All right. Yeah. Although it might need to be in motion for you to even tell too. That's the other side of CGI. That's interesting. Like sometimes you can pull a still image out and it'll look realistic. And as soon as you put it into motion, all of a sudden it's like, ooh, something's off. Yeah, you do have a point. But, you know, okay, we're mm-hmm. we're kind of going off on a little tangent again. Let, Big let's, tangent. Let's, reel, let's reel this back in. <laughs> <laughs> so off the tangent, Obadiah, now he's a bad man. Obadiah, he executed the prisoners. He paralyzed the head of the Taliban of the of the Ten Rings, and he does that all. That's bad guys one hundred and one. You kill the prisoners. Very true. Ooh, I just realized something. Mm-hmm. I think the other reason he straight up tells him he's going against them earlier in the movie mm. is because he didn't know he was Iron Man yet at that point. Mm. He didn't know about the suit. Hmm. Because he didn't Did learn. He not? No, because when he when he goes to kill all of them and see the terrorists and everything, he you know he's put in his fingers in the hole. Which I I'm sorry, but I had to say it that way. Um, <laughs> and he looks. It's a at very this, nice hole you have there. <laughs> please don't invade it, Drew. Um, and he looks at the suit. He and he says, "So this is how Tony did it." He says uh, those lines. He had no clue up until that point. Oh, interesting. So he Very just thought that he was trying to take over the business, so he's threatening him. He didn't even think about the fact that he might have to deal with Tony blowing shit up. <laughs> hmm. That is interesting. I didn't think about that. I just thought about it. Hmm. I don't know. I, I, I'll have to see on that again. That, I, I mean, it's a possibility. It is very possible. Uh I think so. I think this is kind of the turning point for Obadiah, mm-hmm. where, we're, where we're like, Obadiah is a bad man. But on the other side of things here, it's not like he's Anakin and he killed a bunch of younglings. He killed terrorists, like <laughs> out of greed. like, yeah. It's like it's one thing to like to shoot a puppy. It's another thing to shoot a wolf. Like these are terrorists, so. When he executed a bunch of terrorists and it was like, Obadiah is a bad man. There's a part of me that was like, salute to Obadiah. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, dude just killed a bunch of terrorists. I don't know how bad I'm supposed to feel. Like, I know they were like rounded up like they were cattle or something. But (laughs) I I mean, they're terrorists. (laughs) You make you do make a very good point. It's really hard to hate somebody when they kill terrorists, even if they are the antagonist or evil in a movie. <laughs> well, that's, uh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, I know that was supposed to be the big turning point, but I was like, that might have been a, a service to the nation <laughs> at the end of the day. <laughs> but, and then after that, we find out that uh, Obadiah actually hired the terrorists to kill Tony. Because he's jealous of Tony and he wants that crown to be the top of Stark Industries. Hmm. Yeah. If you'd killed him when you were supposed to, you'd still have a face. Yeah. 
<laughs> I love that line. Obadiah just doesn't care, dude. No, he does not. <laughs> well, I think since we're talking about Obadiah, I think it's a fair point to bring this up. He He's oftentimes the most criticized part of this movie. I think generally when people have a problem with Iron Man, usually it comes back to them not liking Obadiah. Mm-hmm. And I think they'll claim it for different reasons, like his motivation is weak or that he's just bad because he needs to be a bad guy or that he's not that interesting or whatever. I, I don't know. I Personally, I don't agree with that. I, I wouldn't agree with that. I, I wouldn't agree with it because, well, I think people have too much of the expectation of the villain in the MCU needs to be like not of this world kind of thing. But the okay. villain that Obadiah is, like, that's realistic. Like, that is actually happening. Obviously, not like Iron Man and things like that, but the type of villain he is, that is actually mm-hmm. happening in our world right now. I mean, same with the terrorists. And I don't well, think yeah. people like the realistic aspect of it. That's true. Well, I think. Okay, so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go off on a, a villain tangent here. We are the antagonists. Part of the reason our our podcast name is that is because I love a good villain. So, I I do want to draw a bit of a comparison to another superhero film three years prior to this one. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a little quiz here, Ryan. All right. What DC film was released in 2005? That also changed the superhero genre. <laughs> I have no clues. Was it this? Was it Superman or Man of Steel? Man of Steel. No. I can't even remember that far back, honestly. It, it was Batman Begins. Oh, Batman Begins. I totally forgot about those because... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, actually, I shouldn't really? say it. I forgot. I I was thinking in terms of the terrible DC universe. Ah, uh, <laughs> so, that's that's fair. I think uh, Man of Steel was 2000, 2012, I think Man of Steel was. I'm also terrible with years. I I'm, I have such a bad memory, dude. I can I can barely remember what I had for <laughs> breakfast this morning. That's why I had to ask you. I was like, maybe he'll get this one. You but... you jackass. <laughs> you knew I wasn't going to. I mean, I wanted to give you a chance. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do want to draw a comparison. This movie, Rachel Ghoul to Obadiah, right? That that was Obadiah was kind of or Raz Raish, however you I think choose to pronounce it. I've heard it both ways. I don't know. Yeah, but tomato, tomato. Exactly. Well, Raz Al Ghul is Batman's mentor. His his mirror image, right? If he kept going down the original trajectory that he was going down at the beginning of the film without changing, and and that's the same thing in both of these movies. Iron Man would have been Obadiah if he goes down this same path and doesn't change. But they do. They both change. Uh, Batman and Iron Man both become morally superior versions of their mentor. But. There is a reason I think Obadiah probably is not as effective as Ra's al Ghul. I still think he's a good villain. I like Obadiah. Mm-hmm. But he can also be a bit of a one-note villain at times. He's selfish. Everything he does is is self-interested. And when you have that, you kind of need pressure from all sides, right? There's this uh, four-corner opposition. 
Have you heard of that term? Yeah. Yeah. So four corner opposition, you have four different characters all opposing each other for different reasons all over the same thing. And in Batman Begins, that big theme is fear. So each one of these main characters uses fear for a different reason, right? Batman, Ra's al Ghul, and then there's also Falcone, and there's Scarecrow. Bruce uses it selflessly to help people. Same thing as Iron Man does to help people selflessly. And Ra's al Ghul thinks Gotham's inherently corrupt, so he's going to use it to destroy Gotham, get rid of crime. Which there's some real Thanos vibes going there, but... (laughs) You know, noble. Story for another time. Yeah, real real noble, I guess. <laughs> Scarecrow uses it selfishly in its purest form because he has like this fear boner. He just likes fear. <laughs> A fear boner, huh? That's right. He loves it. I had one it's of those like, once. He, he's not. Oh. <laughs> That's why you like horror movies so much. <laughs> that was our little secret, Drew. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then Falcone uses it selfishly for personal gain, right? Mm-hmm. Obadiah, he just kind of uses power. Power is kind of the big thing in Iron Man. How do they use their power? Obadiah just uses it for personal gain. That's like his big thing, yeah. personal gain. That's it. That's the only real opposition we have here is Iron Man for selfish, selflessness, altruistic reasons. And then Obadiah. It's just head on head, good v. bad. Mm-hmm. If we had some more opposition with different views on power, then like it might have made Obadiah and Iron Man, it might have it made Tony Stark and Obadiah's relationship a little more interesting. But that was kind of the one note. It was good versus bad, which can be enough. But I think it probably would have ended up being more interesting if we had a little more opposition from other directions to kind of define that relationship a little more. Okay, yeah, I I can get behind that. I I think part of it, too, is, you know, this was the kind of the first time they were trying to explore setting up for this whole universe which it doesn't really excuse Mm -hmm. it by any means but it's one of those things like it's hard because there's more to obadiah i mean we we get this beginning yes we get this beginning graphic of you know who a little bit of who he is as a character what his story is with like that um with all the magazine graphics and everything um i Mm -hmm. think if we had a little more knowledge from the story of that that we got in the uh, voiceover or whatever when Tony was getting the award, um, I yeah. think it would have helped kind of develop him a little bit more. But because we couldn't get a whole lot of information from that, you're right. It did end up being just a like one-on-one kind of situation. Yeah, it, it was very much just good versus evil, mm-hmm. which is fine. I don't think every... I don't think every movie needs the big sympathetic villain. Oh, Roxy! My dog just walked into my room. Hi, puppy. Oh, hi, baby. (laughs) Oh, she's such a good girl. But, yeah, I I, I don't think we need good v. bad every single... Or, I don't think we need a sympathetic villain every single time. 
right? I, I think nowadays everybody seems to think every villain needs to be this like hugely sympathetic villain. I don't think that's the case all the time. Mm-hmm. There's room for other villains in the world, but anyways, we're gonna move on from that because I could talk about this <laughs> all day for much for much longer than we need to. I could talk about this. <laughs> Well, we'll move on to the, the the confrontation, the big fight, the third act, where Tony is at a disadvantage from the very beginning because Obi, good old Obi, took his arc reactor, mm-hmm. put him at a disadvantage, which I think is great. Cool. <laughs> I think when you put your hero at a disadvantage from the beginning, it kind of, it makes him the underdog. And in a normal situation, I think Tony would actually be the favorite to win this fight. But he trusted the people around him. Tony, who's normally so selfish, he's becoming a little more altruistic, becoming a little more trusting. And because of that, Obadiah is able to get the drop on him and weaken him for their final fight. And that's why, in the words of the great Dark Helmet, being good is stupid or is dumb <laughs> being good is dumb is that is that from uh space balls yep <laughs> <laughs> bro i can quote that whole movie <laughs> life lessons from from mel brooks <laughs> evil will always prevail because good is dumb dumb <laughs> <laughs> yes dude i i think my, I think that my favorite part about this final fight here, I mean, I'll, you can watch this and you can pull whatever you want from it. Cause on one hand, it's a really cool fight scene and, you know, it has that spectacle side to it. Mm-hmm. But I like how they didn't throw out the themes and the character arcs that they were building just to go for a fight scene. Like he can't rely on his suit to win, he has to rely on being smarter than Obadiah. And on this relationship that he's formed with Pepper. So, like, in the end, the man who has no one has to rely on the person closest to him to beat the villain. He has to rely on... I mean, yeah, he has to rely on so much more than he has in the past. Because, I mean, even if you look at um, the scene where he goes to Golmira, he's just blowing shit up. Like, he's just going around blowing everything up. And for the first time in his life, I mean, even even up to like getting his heart from the one that it got framed that pepper framed mm-hmm. he's he does that on his own and then all of a sudden it's like oh i actually have to rely on somebody and i that is the turning point that we see for the entire mc universe that they create yeah or let's say that i, I think I, at least yeah no i i'll agree with you i think that's a huge turning point where Tony realizes he has to rely on other people to win. Can't not everything can be Tony. But and and I think the other side of that is I think that's where for me that's where so many superhero films or just films in general just lose me. It's in the final battle when it's just an extravaganza. Mm-hmm. And there's there's no more substance to it. Like there's a lot of films that are pretty good, and then they get to that final act and you just want to quit watching it. Which that, oh, I'm, I'm going to go off on my own little tangent. Just do it, do it, dude. But Please do. So the last few episodes of the TV series Supernatural 
um, came out on Netflix. I was watching okay. them earlier today. I haven't gotten to the last episode yet, but I hear it's very disappointing. And everything that you mm. just said is exactly why I am so scared for this end because they've set up they've said i I don't want to spoil anything for this one because i don't know if anybody listening is actually watching the show but they have set everything up to be this gigantic battle like they're Mm. supposed to do this crazy thing to save the world again like it's supposed to be crazier than anything they've done in the past and i'm so so worried that either there's not going to be a battle and it's just going to be disappointing or it's going to do exactly what you said where there is this huge battle but there's no substance to it which is like what like they've always tried to have substance in the end battles and i feel like they've done a very good job of that in the tv series and i'm so scared that it's not going to be that way this time especially with the season's ending yeah well your finale has to be a it has to be a battle of ideals just as much as it's a battle of man v man or Mm -hmm. whatever else have you and like that's exactly what the finale of this movie was it was ideals. It was character arcs playing off of each other. Mm-hmm. It was beautiful. Plus the symbolism of uh, them fighting on top of Stark manufacturing plant is incredible. I love that. The two characters fighting for the top spot of the company are literally fighting on top of the company. Yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> Speaking of, I don't know if this would be metaphor theme, whatever, but... Mm-hmm. I noticed at the end, um, Tony or Obadiah is looking down on Tony. Mm -hmm. And as soon as Pepper helps him by basically blowing him up, Tony gets Mm -hmm. thrown up and he falls down to kind of, I know Obadiah is dead, but like it kind of, I think it kind of symbolizes showing that Tony with the help of somebody got lifted above the villain and then the villain Mm -hmm. was able to fall. Like it showed Tony growing Mm -hmm. and going up with the help of somebody else. I like the help of somebody else picking him up. Yes, even though he got like blown into the air from explosion, mm. but you know, it, symbolism, metaphor, whatever. <laughs> I I like that. I like that a lot. Well, and I I think like you said, but see, I'm glad that you pointed that out though because I didn't I didn't catch that at first. And, and final battles, they're just so they're so hard, so hard to stick the landing there, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like like you mentioned the the terrible DC universe earlier. They've been decidedly awful. At third acts you mean all I, three <laughs> well especially the last act i mean it's been well like so i think wonder woman being the most disappointing example mm-hmm. of a final battle right yeah since the first two acts of it were so good mm-hmm. i mean the wonder woman for two acts was really really good and then it was terrible because they abandoned all thematic elements everything that we'd learned about the characters up to that point all character building just for a fight it was it was it was terrible yeah i'd agree with that 100 percent. yeah well i i think so for anybody listening who wants to see a fantastic final confrontation right besides iron man because i think it's got a really good one but if you want to look at an entire trilogy that ends in a really great final confrontation i think you watch return of the jedi right the the og star wars trilogy Mm -hmm. luke versus vader versus palpatine awesome 
awesome fight. It's a battle of brawn. It's a battle of ideals, loyalties to the light and the dark, loyalties to family, power versus peace. And it's, it's just, it's awesome. Everything comes into play. It's perfect. I would agree. You want to know another good movie that does that? Hmm. Spaceballs. <laughs> if you want to learn about movies, you watch Spaceballs. <laughs> <laughs> and then you start writing solely villains because being good is dumb. <laughs> <laughs> oh god i'm an idiot (laughs) no dude that's perfect but do you do you have anything else to say about the final confrontation anything Um, else that sticks out to you just one stupid thing actually Mm. tony's heart is literally a machine if a machine dies of electricity it can't turn itself back on that's horse crap Granted, it is an alien thing, but yeah. I'm still sitting there. That that was one thing. That that was just one of those really stupid things that I saw that kind of... I was like, this is not reality watching the movie. I was like, it's a machine. Mm. It's a machine, and it got blown up and electrocuted. It can't turn back on by itself. I know it's supposed to symbolize Tony, again, being reborn and all that other crap. But mm. like, I, I just looked at it. I'm like, that was stupid. That's stupid. Re- <laughs> referring, referring to him getting blasted up in the air and how it should have turned off the uh, arc reactor in his chest. Well, it, referring to? it did. And yeah. then Pepper started yelling, Tony, Tony, Tony. And it turns back on. I'm like, that's not how machines work. <laughs> <laughs> I should know. I worked in IT for a summer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was just yeah, one of those really stupid moment, moments that I had. I was like, I, I shouldn't be thinking about this, but here I am doing it anyways. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, I guess I could see that. I, the way I took it was that it just shorted out for a second and then it came back on, but I don't know. Maybe it's just the arc reactor plot armor. I don't, I don't know. The, it, the it, arc reactor does what you need it to do. Realistically, what I'm talking about really isn't important, and you could totally just cut sure. this out, and it would not make any kind of difference. But I had to bitch I, about it. <laughs> let's see. I think. I think any. I think any criticism of breaking the suspension of disbelief is valid, though. It's like your suspension of disbelief. That's what pulls you into the movie. And, like, if you're ever pulled out of a movie, then I think that is worth mentioning. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's, but I, I appreciate you validating my uh, idiocy. I, I will validate you anytime, anywhere, Ryan. I appreciate that. <laughs> and then the finale. I am Iron Man. Mind blown. Yes. And which... I I'm just gonna talk about this because if you have not seen the newest Avengers yet, you mm. can just suck my white stallion because you're late <laughs> and I'm gonna talk about it. Um, I love the fact that they brought it full circle when Tony died, mm. Mm. and that was Perfect. a totally not planned. Like if you one of the interviews with. I can't remember if it was like the director. Uh, I don't even remember who it was, but they were having an interview and they said, we tried out probably 20 different lines trying to figure out what 
was going to happen or what Tony should say before he died. And I think it was just some random like AC or PA or whatever said, well, why don't you guys just bring it full circle and have him say, I am Iron Man. <laughs> Dude, it couldn't have ended any other way. Yeah. It had to end that way. Like it, it just, perfect. it was so cool that they did that. And I appreciate it so much. And this just is a little story of the fact that it was like, like some nobody decided <laughs> to do a full circle is pretty cool. Yes, dude. Uh, whoever that guy is, well, I don't know what he was—a gaffer, or maybe a just some random dude, probably grabbing everybody's coffee. Mm. Whoever you are, thank you. You are a legend. You're a legend. Probably has this really simple name, like wow. yeah, it's like super simple. Bob Jones. Like <laughs> John some, Smith. Com- yeah, just some complete like Moshmo type character. <laughs> <laughs> But, and we're at the, so the film is over. Makes me sad because I like Iron Man. Mm-hmm. Ryan, at the end of the film, what did you like, what were some things overarching in the film that you were like, I'm glad it ended this way? Did you have anything that by the end of this film, you were just like watching it? Honestly, in hindsight, you were like, man, I'm glad that, the film the did this. The only final thought that I had about that was, I'm glad that they didn't take the typical approach with keeping the superhero's identity a secret i love that because that's not who tony's character is Mm -mm. and so like when i first saw this and i still think it to this day but when i first saw this because i didn't know anything about marvel i didn't know anything about the mcu i didn't know anything about that because as a kid i grew up with dc um Mm, so when i saw that i was like that that is so cool this is such a good change of pace and as the later movies came on, the fact that everybody knew who he was, I'm like, this is just great. I love the change. Mm-hmm. I love this. I love that it's not a secret. Yeah, that's true. I mean, so many superheroes, you know, Batman, Superman, which Superman's secret identity is stupid. Yeah. <laughs> Dude shows up to the to the office and throws on glasses. Which, oh. fun fact for you, the guy yeah. who played Superman <clears throat> in Man of Steel, uh, Henry Cavill, Mm-hmm. They actually put him in his alter ego, had him walk around New York, talk to people. He didn't have many, if any, people recognize him at all as mm. Henry Cavill. Interesting. So they did that as a social experiment to see if a secret identity would work. And apparently it does. Hmm. Interesting. So if I don't want people to recognize me, I just get a sweet pair of nerd glasses. And I'm going to be unrecognizable. I think they did so put the, him in a wig, though, too. Oh, see, that's cheating. Well, it was <laughs> it was the same color and everything, but they put a wig with, like, a different hairstyle kind of thing. They, like, they didn't mm. change a lot. I mean, they didn't do anything to his face. They just put glasses on him. They did his hair in a different way, and he was wearing a suit. Like, it wasn't anything crazy, but it's been a while since I've seen it, so maybe I'm a, a little off. But, like, still. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's true. Uh, so yeah, him revealing his secret identity. I think that's awesome. I'm glad that at the end of the film, Tony doesn't get the girl right away, right? She's still unsure of him, but the seeds are planted there for future movies. And I, I think actually, since I mentioned it, since I say it that way, I think I'm just glad with the restraint they used in this movie in general. So there's a lot of films that if they only get one shot, they try to put everything in. Mm-hmm. 
And then all of a sudden you're like, well, where do we go from here? Because he's done growing. Like Tony Stark wasn't done growing by the end of this. Like he was a lot better, but he still had a lot of room to grow. Pepper and him aren't a thing. It's like there's a lot of ways to go here. Oh, yeah. You, you didn't try to. <laughs> I was just going to say, like, they just didn't try to do, like, all the world building in one movie. Like, it was a very contained story, which is great. Yeah, they they did such an excellent job of making this with the intention of creating more. Yeah. And I, movies so often don't do that. Dude, it was perfect. Well, and it was like, even, I, I, I think I give it even more respect because they didn't know that they were going to be doing an entire MCU after this. Mm-hmm. This was like a, a one-off attempt. This was like, hey, if this movie does well, there might be more to come. This was not like a, there's a guaranteed five movies at least to come out after it. This is kind of like, if it works, we'll do it. It's <laughs> so just like the restraint. It's incredible. Oh, yeah. Oh, so good. So good. So good. Ryan. Drew. Do we want to talk about more themes? You know, you ask me that every single time. At this point, you might as well just say, Ryan, it's time for themes, and then go. I know, right? Yeah. (laughs) Ryan, do you have any themes that you would like to speak of? Um, I think I already talked about the ones I noticed as we were going throughout. So have at it, Drew. Go go wild. All right, I, I didn't go crazy this week because, I again, like I said, we talked about a lot of stuff as we were going through it. But one theme that is super, super visible is that we are our own biggest threat. Right? And the most ironic way possible, the shrapnel heading for Tony's heart throughout the rest of the movie was from his own missile. His own missile, his own weapon of mass destruction. And like Pepper is worried that Tony's gung-ho nature is going to get him killed. So that is one thing about this movie is like we are typically our own biggest threat, which I think is great. Yeah, I can speak from experience. (laughs) I was like, all these crazy weekends, man, I just keep hearing stories. I have no idea what they're talking about. Well, I mean, you know, I've already been blown up on my own missiles a couple times, so. I I don't know what that metaphor is for, but I don't think I want to (laughs) know. It wasn't a metaphor. I was making a dumbass joke about the fact that I was Tony. (laughs) You pervert. (laughs) Uh, I also think. Another big theme in this movie that I think I mentioned a little bit earlier is power versus responsibility or like self selfishness versus selflessness. Uh, Obadiah never gets over. You're grinning. Why are you grinning? With great power (laughs) comes great responsibility. Uncle Ben. (laughs) Yes. I mean, that is not exactly what you were talking about, but the way you phrase it, it's kind of similar. And I was like, I feel clever. <laughs> oh, I mean, this movie basically had an Uncle Ben. He was a he, you know an Afghani Uncle Ben. <laughs> Jensen. Yeah, yeah. Y- Jensen was Tony's Uncle Ben, man. <laughs> he was he was great. The best Uncle Ben since Uncle Ben. But uh, yeah, I I think you know, Obadiah he never gets over his selfish nature. He's this mirror image of Tony. If again, like we mentioned earlier, if he stayed on the path he was on, 
And so, you know, if Tony kept making weapons, I, I think this is the other side of it that I appreciate. If Tony never changed, if he kept making weapons, well, he'd be super rich. He'd be pulling hot chicks daily. And he'd live comfortable until he was old and died. I mean... That's the American dream. I Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like... He decided he didn't want that, right? Like, that wasn't going to be the Stark legacy. And I think there's a lot to take from that, you know? Like, is this American dream of riches and pulling girls or pulling guys? You know, whatever, whatever you, you know, whether you're a girl or a guy or straight or not, whatever the case may be. I, I I think it does a good job of <laughs> I think it does a good job of like addressing that like hey this American dream might not be all it's cracked up to be because Tony had that every single way like yeah. he just he owned every aspect of the American dream and he was like eh, it's not enough or it's not what I thought it was not anymore anyways which I think is great yeah which I think honestly I with how Tony's like mindset was in the beginning and everything and even with this change i think if something like that were to happen to anybody here they would have taken a little bit oh i hit something Ah! (laughs) so what i was saying is i think if anybody today kind of got put in that same position they wouldn't give up the dream or do what tony did they would simply take more like if they actually felt obligated to do something they would take more of a role in who they sold things to and keeping track of what the company did and all that stuff because honestly that that's what i would do i wouldn't build a freaking suit of armor and go out and fight crime and all that shit like i'm not that like i i try to be a selfless (laughs) person but i don't have that much courage (laughs) yeah well and like we mentioned earlier when the humvee got attacked in the opening scene and tony stark's first very first instinct was to act in self-interest all of a sudden he's in a suit of armor putting himself in harm's Mm -hmm. way and like it's just a rare evolution of a character which is great yeah it is all right is there any other themes that you thought of drew ryan i think we have addressed everything that i need to talk about is there anything else you need to talk about Uh, i don't believe so i think i am good to go well then ryan send us out with what (laughs) just say goodbye (laughs) wave 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 to the people with your best uh drama or not drama queen your best miss universe pageant wave give them the little sideways handshake (laughs) oh yeah i can definitely tell you didn't know how to answer that even though i already know how to send people out (laughs) <laughs> we we so we could see ahead, each other buddy. and his look was pure like yo i just gave you this job i don't know what to do why are you asking me <laughs> <laughs> i don't know Addison. So it's your job uh, my gosh all right well thanks for joining us on the antagonist podcast and we will see you guys next week yep see ya